Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor, and uh, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. We are in a series. It's called God is God. Everything else is an illustration. And we're talking about how to have a relationship with God. It sometimes is difficult. I think it's difficult because he's God and we're not. You know, and for all of the images that the Bible uses, all the words that it uses to describe our relationship with him, he's still God. Everything else is just an illustration of what aspects of God are like so that we can know how to relate to him. And that's what we're trying to discover. We're trying to see how to understand who he is and how to relate to him. And so we're looking at the stories in Genesis to see how God is introduced to us in the Bible uh, and so we can understand how to have a relationship with someone who is God. And so we've been in this now. This is our fifth week. Uh, We've seen that God is separate, but he reaches toward us. We've seen that God is amazingly benevolent and he gives us amazing, abundant gifts. We've seen that God is Father, that he made us in his image so that we would be a part of his family and that God is honoring and dignifying because he has given us an incredible responsibility and the strength to fulfill that responsibility so that we would be people of impact. And so this is the God that we've met in Genesis chapter 1. This is who God is, what he's like. Um, He's the kind of person that you would want to know. You know, he's the kind of person that you'd want on your side. And today we're turning the page, uh, literally, and we're going to start looking at Genesis chapter 2. I think that in Genesis chapter 2, the God who is wonderful in Genesis 1 gets even better. Um, We see more about who God is from how he reveals himself and what he does. And so we're going to read, to start off with, we're going to read the last verse of Genesis 1 and then the first three verses of Genesis 2. They're in your bulletin. There's a place there to take notes if you'd like to do that. There's also, the verse can be up on the screen um, so you can follow along. But this is... This is God's word. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work, all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what is this God like? Well, this passage teaches us that God rested. This passage teaches us that our God is a God who says there is a time for work, and a time for rest. And so in this ancient story, and it's going to take us several weeks to unpack everything that's in here, and, um, but in this ancient story, there is what we could call, if you want to get all scholarly or feel really intelligent, because if you grasp this, you will be, but in this ancient story, there is a theology of time. There is a way to bring God into your understanding of time and your schedule, your to-do list, the things that you're responsible for, the people that you're responsible for. There's a way to develop a theology of time 
so that God is actually part of the decisions that you make about what you do and when you do it. And so in this, we're going to see how to think about time and how to experience time in a way that would cultivate a relationship with the God who is God. And so God rested as a gift to us, okay? God rested as a gift to us, and he put a blessing on the seventh day. It says he made it holy, which means he chose it to be special for us. It was for us. And we know this because in Exodus chapter 20, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, commandment number four says this. This is Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Wait, holy cow. I just noticed something in this passage that I hadn't thought of before. I'm going to make a point later about families and how do we observe and like what about moms? And it just occurs to me that the male servants and the female servants were not supposed to work on the seventh day. So I hope I remember that when I get to talking about moms. If I forget, somebody yell at me and say, what about moms? Okay? Because I'm going to talk about moms, but I need to relate it back to this passage because Something just jumped out at me, and it's unbelievably powerful. But I'm not going to tell you now. I'm going to have you wait till the end. Okay. <clears throat> so, so you don't work, nor your son or your daughter, nor your female servant, nor your male servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. One day in seven, God calls you to stop your work. And on that day, it's special. And you need to remember God. So this day, the Sabbath is designed for you to rest and worship. Eugene Peterson famously says, it's a day where you pray and play. So pray and play. God gives us this gift of rest. Rest from work so that we can play, pray, and just rest emotionally, physically, mentally. So the idea here is that you want to prostrate yourself before God in worship. And the reason I say prostrate yourself isn't because I want all of us to like get down on our faces before God, although if that's where the Lord leads you, do that. But I say that you need to prostrate yourself before God in worship so that I can say you're also allowed to prostrate yourself on a bed or a couch. That's part of resting, okay? Part of resting. You're allowed to sleep. You're allowed to take a nap. This is a special day, and God wants you to have this day as a gift. And this gift from God is rest, worship, and refreshment. 
This is really important because there is a tradition in the Christian church, and I don't know if this is in all churches or all cultures, but in our culture, there is a tradition where church means like starch collars and uncomfortable clothing. It means having to like control yourself and like especially when it comes to kids, like you got to put on your Sunday best and, and there's nothing wrong with giving God the best of who you are. But in some parts of our culture, this has created this sort of confining and very like no-oriented, like don't do this, don't do that, don't be loud, don't be antsy, don't be, you know, right? And that's not the point of the day. This is not a day of starched collars and uncomfortable clothing. It's not forcing people to have long, hours-long Bible studies all day long. That's not what this is for. In fact, Exodus 31, verses 16 and 17, give us another window into what the purpose of the Sabbath is. It says this. It says, Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me, this is God, and the people of Israel. So the, the Sabbath was a way to express that you were in a covenantal relationship with God that you knew God and that God knew you and you had this special relationship with him. He says, because in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So the design of the Sabbath is that you would feel refreshed. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. What is it that makes you feel refreshed? that needs to go in your Sabbath to-do list or Sabbath get-to-do list, maybe. We could say it that way. <clears throat> now, in the Old Testament, there's all of this discussion about how it's the seventh day that's the Sabbath. And so we gotta make, we gotta make a point here, right? Because Sabbath was yesterday then, right? Saturdays, like all the Seventh-day Adventists, they're correct, right? We're supposed to actually be here yesterday, not today. But there's this tradition, so we just do it now. We don't talk about it, right? We see all these seventh days in the Old Testament, and we just hope that nobody notices, right? No, no. <clears throat> there's a lot that can be said about this, and I'll chase this down with you if you'd like afterwards. But let me just say this, that Jesus' first followers, for them, there was a huge change in the Sabbath. Because for Jesus' followers, um, the seventh-day Sabbath looks back to the original creation, right? Because in six days, God made the heavens and the earth. Well, for Jesus' first followers, they wanted to celebrate not the current creation. They wanted to celebrate the new creation that started with Jesus. Um, in the resurrection, the day of the resurrection uh, became such an important uh, it's, it became such an important day, it's such an important event that they wanted to reorient their entire worship around the resurrection of Jesus. And so the day got shifted with the resurrection. Um, and in the New Testament, you can see that the first day of the week becomes prominent. The first day of the week becomes prominent. And so, so people are no longer simply um, looking backward to the past, but they're looking forward. Uh, they're looking forward, they're seeing what Jesus did, and they're celebrating where it's leading. And so the idea is that salvation has been accomplished in Jesus. And so that's why the day's been shifted from the seventh day to the first day of the week. And I also just want to say, too, that as we talk about this, I'm going to spend most of my time talking about Sundays now, but if Sundays don't work for you, that's okay. There's a place in Romans, that's 14 or 15, where it says, 
Um, some people treat one day as special, other people treat another day, some people treat all the days as special. And so the point here is that you want to take just a pick a 24-hour period of time. For me, because today's a work day for me, oh, it's not work, it's a joy to be here with you, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, the, uh, I tend to observe the Sabbath personally from, um, from, when do I do this? Oh, Thursday night to Friday night. So I do Thursday evening to Friday evening is generally when I do it. So, what is the point here then? What God is doing here in blessing the seventh day, in making it holy, God is, he's giving us an invitation. And so the Sabbath, we're going to say really three things about the Sabbath. The first thing we're going to say is that the Sabbath is God inviting us to rest. So this is an invitation from God. You get it in the mail, right? You don't get it in the mail, actually, but you get it every single week. The call to worship that begins our service is an invitation for you to rest. It's to set the day aside. Because if you enter into this rest with God, you will experience his blessing. And we're going to talk more about this, but by resting on the Sabbath, we get a taste of the world where God lives. And so the image here is that God works and that he enters into his rest. And then he gives the day to us so that every week we might enter into a taste of his rest. And so it's a taste of where God lives. It's a taste of the world to come. Um, this is a world that we're looking forward to. It's, it's a world of untarnished blessing that we are destined to inherit at the end of history. And so God puts this special day, or the special blessing on one day in seven, and he invites us to rest. He makes it holy. He makes it special. And if you observe it, then you will receive the blessing that he has put on this day. And so the Sabbath is an invitation from God for you to experience communion with him. It's like he's saying, look, I know we're separated. You're on earth, I'm in heaven. I know that I reach across and it's hard for you to hear me. It's hard for you to spend time with me. It's hard for you to make time for me. So I'm gonna give you an entire day. An entire day. So that you have an excuse to say no to everything else and just focus on me, which again, doesn't mean day-long Bible studies, I'm not saying that, but for rest and worship, for pray, sleep, and pray. And so, so stop your work, join me in rest is what God says. And so what this is, what the Sabbath is then, this is the God in the Old Testament being the same God as Jesus in the New Testament, Okay? It's not true that the God of the Old Testament is angry, the God of the New Testament is, is love. That's not true. It's the same God. Because what God is saying with the Sabbath is, again, what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, bring your burdens and just and hand them to me. Give them to me. I will give you rest because I care about you and I care about the burdens that you're carrying. The Sabbath is God saying this to us. You don't just do it once. 
You don't just lay your burdens on Jesus once, but every week God is saying, hey, let your hair down, relax. Let's put some things on the back burner. And let's make this day special. This isn't always the case. Maybe this is a good illustration. I was thinking about vacations. You know, you go on vacation and you feel like there's some legitimacy to putting stuff on the back burner, right? And I know there's often like a huge amount of work up to leading vacation. It depends on what your job is. But for some of us, like we have this, we're going to go on vacation, so you have to get ready for your vacation, right? Not just pack your stuff and get ready to go, but like you have to do your work. You have to build up your work so that you can leave, right? You hand stuff off. Other people are responsible. You're not responsible. And then you go on vacation, and you kind of have this sense of like, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes I do. It's like, oh, wait, what up? No, 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 I'm on vacation. I don't have to worry about this right now. You know, there's other people that are taking care of this. I don't have to worry about this. And so the Sabbath is like a vacation. For 24 hours, Jesus is saying, look, I know all the stuff is there. Don't worry. Go have fun. Trust me, I'll care for it while you're gone. And so... Friends, this is how God has built time. Okay, God built it with a seven-day cycle. And so if you go with this, if you meld your life into this structure of time, you will be blessed. If you fight against it, if you buck against it, your life won't function as well. And, and what I love about this is that you can, you can search on Google and you can find all kinds of non-spiritual people that have written studies about the power and the productivity of people who rest one day in seven. That six plus one is significantly more productive than seven plus zero. Like six days work, one day rest is significantly more productive. So even for people that, I mean, even just from a work perspective, if all you cared about was productivity, which you should care about more than just productivity, even just physically stopping the work and resting for a day from your work makes you actually more productive. And so, so Jews and Christians have celebrated the Sabbath for thousands of years as a reminder that God is the author of time, that God knows what is best for our time. This is another one of these things where you can think that you know better than God But you don't. <laughs> you don't, and I don't. You know, and even as a pastor, I feel like I've got all the excuses in the world. Oh yeah, I need to work on this because it's the church. You know, and even I have to remind myself, wait, God knows what's best. And God wants me to take a day off. So there's a time for work and a time for rest. God rests, and then he establishes this rest as a gift to us. So... The Sabbath is God inviting us to rest. Now, the second thing that we're going to see is that the Sabbath doesn't say, do this. The Sabbath says, it is done. It is done. And this is where we can see how the gospel influences our understanding of the Sabbath. Uh, I want to share with you Hebrews 1, verse 3. It says this, talking about Jesus. It says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
So if you want to know what God is like, you can actually look at Jesus. You can study the life of Jesus, and you can find out what God is like. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus sat down after he made purification for sins. This is a reference to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The book of Hebrews goes on to talk about how you had all these animal sacrifices in the Old Testament and they had to keep being repeated, repeated, repeated because there wasn't ever an end to sin And so the sacrifices kept being offered to cover over sin, to cover over sin, to cover over sin. And there were other sacrifices that were other things that didn't have to do with sin. But there were sin offerings that were made over and over and over and over and over again. If you walked through the tabernacle, if you walked through the temple, the one piece of furniture that you would never find is a chair. No chair in the tabernacle. No chair in the temple. Why? Because the work was never done. But Jesus, when Jesus came and offered himself up as a sacrifice for sins, my brothers and my sisters, for our sins was finished. He made purification for our sins and he sat down at the right hand of God. Because the work is done. Your sins have been paid for. You don't need anything else. There is nothing else for you to do to be made right with God. God accepts you, and we know this because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Are you with me? Are you with him? If Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, Friends, all of us need to sit for a day each week. And sitting is an act of worship. For us to sit is an act of faith. For us to not do other things, for us to not work, is for us to be able to say, everything has been done for me. It's been done. I'm accepted the thing that is the most important for me in all of life is to prepare to meet my maker, is to prepare to spend time, to spend eternity with God. And one day in seven, I get, to, I get to act as though God accepts me. I get to act as though all the work is finished. Jesus is sitting Why aren't you? He's inviting you to sit. The Sabbath isn't saying you need to do this. The Sabbath is saying it is done. And so one day in seven, we enter into this rest. 
And I know what some of you are thinking, like, wait, hold on a second. Yeah, that's true about Jesus, but it can't be true for us, right? Isn't there still work to do? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, has this to say. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and catch this, he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The more you get to know the gospel, the more you understand the gospel, the longer you come here to Harbor City Church, the more you are going to learn that part of the role of being the Messiah, being the Savior of the world for Jesus, is that whatever is true of him is also true of his followers. And this is one example of this. Jesus is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God, and guess what? So is everyone who follows him. And so this is permission. This is explicit permission that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So one day in seven, you can sit down with Jesus. And so Sabbath keeping, I mean, it's, it's simple, but it's, it's not easy. Okay, we're going to talk. Don't worry. We're going to talk about why it's so difficult. We're going to talk. We're going to spend a week about just all the things that are making us not do this. Um, but, so, but just for now, in this message, I just want you to know that observing the Sabbath is subversive. Okay? It's subversive against the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in is non-stop. There is no rest in our culture because even the things that are offered to you as ways of rest become infinite time sucks. Like they want to give you rest, but then they want you to keep scrolling and keep scrolling and it never, ever, 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 ever ends. It just never ends. And so to stop and rest, to count the day as special with God is a subversive act against the culture. Man, Sabbath observance fights against the culture. It's like against the tyranny of the urgent. And so we actually fight for Jesus. We fight against the culture by resting. By resting. And again, we're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come. So the Sabbath doesn't say do this. The Sabbath says it is done. Last thing we're going to see is that the Sabbath is another way that we close the gap between heaven and earth. Okay? In the very first message I did on Genesis 1, um, I talked about how God made the world and we're separated from him. Right? God's in heaven, we're on earth. That's frustrating because he's not here all the time. I mean, he is, but then he's not, and because he's God, and he's, and, uh, right? And so we've seen that, that God is separate, and yet God, in Genesis 1, continues to reach across the separation he, toward us. God is reaching toward us by speaking, by giving us his word, by giving us gifts, by making us in his image, by calling us to rule and to fill the earth. 
Right now, by the Sabbath, God is reaching across to us over and over and over again, across the separation toward us. We reach across the separation toward God in this passage by resting. By resting. For some of you, you don't feel close to God because you're not keeping the Sabbath, because you're just running and you're never stopping, and you're never spending time, and you're never ever giving yourself a window of time to respond to God's invitation to spend time with you. And so resting is one way, it's another way that we close the gap between heaven and earth. I said in this cryptic way in the first message in Genesis 1 that, like, why did God make it this way? Well, because God wants us and him to work together to close the gap. Friends, this is one of the ways that we do that. When we rest, the waters of chaos in our lives are parted and we walk into a day of rest and time with God. So, how do we get started with this? Right, some of you try to keep the Sabbath, some of you do keep the Sabbath, some of you didn't even know there was a Sabbath to keep, and you're like, this is completely new to me. So, a seventh of my time, a tenth of my income, really, like, wow, this is like a lot that God's asking for. Um, <laughs> so, how do we get started? Well, we're just going to begin to talk about this, because we're going to look at the Sabbath at least for two more weeks, I think. Um, so, Two ways, really simple, but then we're going to try to flesh them out. Um, first, take Sunday off. Okay? Take Sunday off. Now, again, this means a 24-hour period of time. So I'm going to say Sunday because it really sort of fits, you know, with church and, you know, all these other things. Um, but if you can't do Sundays, don't freak out. Just take a day off. So, but I'm going to say take, oh, I did say take a day off. In my notes, it still says take Sunday off. So never mind. Just take a day off. All of that. Sunday is a great day. Um, but really a 24-hour period of time that you cease from your primary vocation. Like, that's it. Technically, you cease from your primary vocation. And again, the Jews observed this from evening until evening. So it was Friday evening until Saturday evening. And you see that happening even in the Gospels with Jesus. Um, I, really like, I really like the Saturday evening to Sunday evening time frame um, because... Saturday evening helps you get ready for church on Sunday. It helps you to really make this a significant moment uh, in your Sabbath day. Um, and then when it ends on Sunday evening, you still have then the, the night to sort of prepare for Monday and the week to come. So I've tried to do like Sunday morning until like till I go to sleep. And it's just a lot easier, I think, to do Saturday evening to Sunday evening. So, so take, a day, take, take a day off. And then two, make the day sacred. Make the day sacred. And, and in this, I, I don't mean, again, that you need to have a 24-hour period of time where you're studying the Bible, okay? I don't mean that you try to take, like, the most religious and most disagreeable elements of religion and force yourself and beat yourself up all day long because if you grit your teeth and endure it, then God somehow will be happy. That's not what I mean when I say make the day sacred. 
What I mean is make the day special and aim the day toward God's purposes. And what are God's purposes? Who remembers? There's three things you're supposed to do on this day. What are you supposed to do? Rest, refresh, and pray. Yeah, so pray, play, and I couldn't think of an A-Y word that rhymed that means sleep. Um, Prostrate. So I don't know. But yeah, so it means it's sleep or rest, physical rest, um, and then it's play, enjoy yourself, rest, enjoy the day, um, and, then, and then spend time with God, okay? In whatever way makes you feel filled, okay? Um, thank you. Thank you, moms, right? Yes, 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 yes. All right. Let me jump to moms on this. I'm going to jump there now because I should, because I said I would. Um, Okay, when it comes to this, right, to pray, play, and rest, moms totally get the short end of the stick, right? And unfortunately, there are theological, there's theological rationale for moms not to get to rest. In our Westminster Confession, it says that we're supposed to rest from all of our labors except for works of necessity and mercy. That's what it says. I don't think it had moms in mind when it was talking about that. It was just saying if something's necessary, it has to get done, right? And so don't feel guilty. And this is, you know, exemplified when Jesus says, um, I think when they're picking grain in the fields and they're like, oh, you're picking grain. You're not allowed to do that. And Jesus is like, they're hungry. Let them eat. Like, God doesn't want us to starve on the Sabbath, okay? Um, and then uh, mercy is like when you get your ox, if, you're, if your animal falls in a ditch, you're just going to be like, sorry, can't get you out. It's the Sabbath. I'll see you tomorrow. Um, Jesus says, no, get them out, right? Because that's what you do. So works of necessity and mercy. Um, but moms get dumped on, right? Because we all have to eat, and the family has to eat. And so, mom, sorry. And then the dishes got to get done, and then you got to clean up, and then you got to, like, take care of the kids, and right? And moms are like... Seriously, like Sunday's the worst day for me because the kids are home all day long and I have to be responsible. Like this is messed up, right? So moms, I hear you. I feel your pain. I live with someone who's been in this pain. And so here's the question that everyone in the family needs to ask, okay? Everyone needs to ask this question. What does rest for mom look like? And I'm singling them out. We also need to figure out what does rest for dad look like? What does rest for the kids look like? But just in this one space, this is an example of what everyone's supposed to be doing. What does rest look like? And so here's the principle. The whole family should work together to give everyone an opportunity to rest. Right? Everyone should work together so that rest is available to everyone. Okay, to say it another way, dad and kids, and I'm being stereotypical here, but the moms that I'm talking to, I'm talking about are like, we don't care if you're being stereotypical. In this case, be stereotypical because we need you to say this. So dads and kids ought to make some sacrifices so that everyone can have a measure of rest on Sundays. Boom, right? That means that everyone should help clean Everyone should help with dishes. Everyone should help if laundry has to get done on Sundays, although it would be great to do it on another day. Everyone should be helping so that if, if anybody has to sacrifice part of their day to do a work of necessity, then everyone should sacrifice so that everyone can experience some measure of rest. 
Make sense? I mean, okay, so we need to do this. We want to distribute all of the necessary work to everyone. True in families at home, hey, also true here at the church, right? The same thing, like rest. This worship service is an opportunity for you to rest, to worship God, to experience the gospel, to be reminded of who God is and how much he loves you and cares about you, that he opens up these doorways of life for you to walk through so that you can experience his joy in life. And there are people that have sacrificed some of their rest on this day so that you could sit and just rest. In the fullest sense of the word, your ability to rest is dependent on, I think about 45 different people today that are sacrificing a part of their rest so that they can serve you. And what's real is that all of us need to be a part of that. Like, this is why we ask everyone to serve at least one Sunday a month, because then the work gets distributed. If all of us are sacrificing, then not every, any one person has to sacrifice. We do have some people that are serving every single week because they're on the short end. I think it's because, like, Mike and Madison have their contact information on speed dial, you know? You need to get on their speed dial so that some of our folks can have a rest and can actually sit in here in church uh, on Sundays. And so, um, not to co-opt the sermon into a call to not rest, but to work on Sunday at church. Um, but that's what I just did. If you're not currently serving, please do let us know who you are and say, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice a tiny portion of my rest one Sunday a month. So sign me up for a team where you need me. Um, you can use this connection card to do that. And God will bless your efforts in that. God will bless you for sacrificing on behalf of the rest of the church family. Um, and so we're doing elder and deacon nominations. And so this message relates to that. We're looking for elders and elder advisors who can help us, who can advise us, who can counsel us into an understanding of the gospel like this who can encourage us to make decisions to follow after God, even in ways that are radically countercultural. So look for you know, the people that you know who are like this, who are making efforts to, to live out Sabbath-keeping. Um, these are folks that we want as elders and elder advisors. And then for deacons and deacon assistants, again, we're looking for people who have a heart to serve the church. Because there are some people, some people, um, I would say not very many, but there are some people for whom serving every week is joy. And so if you know someone like that, they probably need to be a deacon or a deacon assistant. So nominate them. Man, so here we are. This is, this is an opportunity for all of us to be pushed deeper into communion with God. Because to say yes to Sabbath keeping, you would never do this unless you trusted God. And so to do this is to trust God. And I want to encourage you that in the midst, like you're not, a, you're not acting like your life isn't chaos. You're not acting like there isn't too much going on in your life. But you're saying, wait, God knows this and God is going to care for me if I follow him in this. And so I want to encourage you to begin, even just today, take some block of time that you can devote 
to thinking about who God is and how wonderful it is he gave us rest. Just think about that today. Um, and then spend the day enjoying yourself. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. Thank you for loving us and caring for us in this way. And we confess, God, that so much of the culture has deceived us into thinking that this isn't something that we can do. And so we want to stop and we want to look to you again and ask you to show us the way forward. Please, today, God, help each one of us in some way to do something that would enable us to experience a taste of this rest. We offer you the burdens of our lives and the chaos that we're experiencing, the busyness, the franticness. Please meet us today as we try to rest. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.